as we go into the second part of this, we've talked a lot about the way that we're supposed to walk and uh, what it means to be a Christian and what that uh, looks like in the real world. And um, Paul's going to be talking, first, one of the first things he talks about is he is encouraging the Colossians for their love for one another. It's so easy to get caught up in our lives. Our, we're busy. I mean, everyone is busy. And nowadays, you've got to work because of shrinkflation. You've noticed how you go buy something you used to buy and there's one less of it or, it's, you know, same box and it's half full and... So everybody's working a lot of hours to try to just keep up, to try to just have a life. But we have to get outside of that from time to time. It's not, Christianity is not just about me and mine, but it's about other folks. It's about caring about other people. Don't get me wrong. We're supposed to take care of me and mine, our families. That is a high priority, but not the, at the exclusion of everyone else. And uh, church helps satisfy some of that because we get a chance to say hi to folks and get to know them a little bit. So Paul's talking about their love for one another. That's one thing they seem to be able to, to have. And if you might remember, and I'm sure you do, that's one of the great identifiers of a Christian is our love for one another. It says in John 13, 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Can you love someone without agreeing with them? Are you, have you ever been married? <laughs> you can love someone without agreeing with them on every single thing. And especially for us as Christians, we need to be able to get along, love each other, care about each other, get to know each other a little bit. You ever been to church and it's like three months going on and you're going, I still don't know what that person's name is. I don't know if they have kids. I don't know if they're married. I don't know anything about them. I encourage you, whether you go to this church on a regular basis or if you go to another church on a regular basis, and that's take a moment and stop and ask someone. Ask them how they're doing. Find out a little bit about their life without being a detective. You know, without snooping too much, but at least get to know a little bit about their life. Now, you guys might remember that there were some weird philosophies beginning to creep in that the church in Colossae were dealing with. So Paul is trying to keep them from being shipwrecked in their faith. There is a lot of garbage out there, and unfortunately, it's crept into the church. We talked uh, a little bit last time about deconstructionism and people getting to the point now where they're smarter than the Bible and they're starting to pull out pieces of the Bible that they say are not true and this, is, this one didn't really write that one. And, you know, it's amazing how that vain deceit that the Bible talks about can get into us to the point to where we think that we're so wise, so wise, that we can take a group of scholars that they put in separate rooms who all were familiar with the native languages and translated the Bible that we're now smart enough to go in and take those and throw those away. We talked about those being, some of the reasons is, of that is people mad at the church. You know, somebody in the church hurt me. 
The thing I would, and that I've always given advice to for people like that, and I just say, look, did Jesus hurt you? Well, no, but Christians did. Well, well, Christians aren't perfect. You know, if we were all perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't have needed the cross. People are imperfect. They make mistakes. So if you get involved in anything, there's a good chance you're going to get hurt by something. If you've ever fallen in love, you've been hurt. That's the risk of falling in love. That's the risk of being in life, somebody hurting you. And a lot of times, I hate to say this, but a lot of times it's something that we're dealing with personally. And um, anyway, I'm going to move on into this. So I want you to take a look at what Paul has said to them to try to counteract these vain philosophies, if you will, that are entering into the church. And it still applies to us today. Almost everything that he deals with, almost every topic that he deals with, the church is still, still dealing with it. When I was a young Christian, Jesus, you know, the, the word talks about Jesus returning, and he says, well, I even find faith alive. And I used to hear that and think, really? How's that possible? How's that possible? You have a lot of people who love Jesus. But I'll tell you what, man, as time goes on, people are getting sucked up into the world and uh, having a hard time putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and not adjusting to the climate around them. This is what Paul's going to be dealing with. Pray with me. Father, we love you. We come before you this morning, and uh, we're so grateful. I'm so grateful to look around and see people who have been in the Lord for quite some time, and they still love you, Lord. They're still hanging in there. And Lord, as we sat down and talked yesterday during practice, everyone's been through some tough things, some tough things in life, but they've maintained that walk in you, knowing that you are the most important thing here and in eternity. We know that. And Father, I think that steadfastness gives us courage. It gives us strength to be able to see some pillars along the way that are still standing. And Father, we're so grateful for your word that always brings us back. Yeah, we get spanked by it sometimes. Sometimes we just overfilled with joy with what it says, but it's the truth. And we love you, Lord, and we ask that you'd open our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at verses 1 through 3. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and they, those in Laodicea. For as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Remember, many of these were born later. They haven't seen Paul. So Paul's writing this to them, but they haven't seen him in the flesh. He's not able to, to be there. So they haven't had a chance to see him in action or to see his character and know what kind of an individual that he is. So the, the confliction he has here is that he wants to be able to be with them. He'd love to be able to be with them. But because of his jail time, he's not going to be able to do that. Look at verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Now, one of the goals for us when we come to church, believe it or not, is to encourage each other. I know that a lot of times, it's just the way we're made, we want to be encouraged. 
And I get that. We all need encouragement. But one of the goals of a church, and this is what will keep you from being disappointed in a church, and that is to not just focus on what they can do for you, but to turn that around and say, what can I do? How can I encourage someone? If you see somebody that looks like they're, they're having a tough time, just, just go over and sit down with them. Ask them if you can pray with them. That is extremely important for us as Christians is to be able to keep our eyes and our heart focused not just on ourselves. I mean, yes, we're going to have things we have to focus on, but to turn that around and focus on other people. It should be our goal when we come into church just to kind of look around and and see if there's somebody that, that God just draws you to to maybe pray for or sometimes just giving them a hug, sometimes just saying that you're, you're happy to see them. Okay, he says, I, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches. Now, this is really important. I want you to look at these superlatives. All, um, all, all riches of what understanding? Partial understanding? Full understanding. Full assurance. Full understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden some things, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Why can't we just hold on to that, believe that, and realize we don't need anything else? It always amazes me at how all these Christian books are written to tell you how to live, <laughs> and it's all right here in one book. There's always a, a new way to conquer this or a new way to conquer that. Or let's add something to the Word of God. Let's add something to your faith. There's some folks out there that it's not enough for you to just love Jesus with all of your heart. It's not enough for you to believe in the Word and believe that it's true. They want to add something else to it. Oh, you're not really saved because you don't read out of the King James. You're not really saved because, well, you don't speak in tongues. Or you're not really saved because this hoop, this hoop, another hoop, another hoop. People like to set up hoops. And Jesus, part of his mission was to knock all of those down. Part of his mission was to show us that it really can be very simple if we put our faith and we put our trust in Jesus Christ. That conflict that Paul talks about, it actually means war. So was this, this war was going on inside of him. I'm sure you've experienced that, torn over wanting to do something and not being able to or wanting to be somewhere and not being able to be there. But he sees what's going on in the church and he really wants to be able to be there. I think that as Christians, if we don't experience the war, we're doing something wrong. Honestly, I do. If we don't wake up and see what's going on and put Jesus in the middle of all of that, we're missing the point. You guys remember the Sabbath, right? Sabbath rest. What was it there for? For them to take a break and to rest. Well, Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath rest. And instead of only getting to rest one day of the week, you can rest in Him 24-7. 
There is a, an amazing peace that passes all understanding when we trust God that he's still on the throne. Oh, we may not like some of the things that are going on. You know, we prayed for his return. It starts to happen, and we start going, oh, not yet. This is too rough. Gas is too much money. Well, it is too much money, but you guys get my idea. You get the idea of what's going on here. And he makes the point again that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ and not something or somewhere else. And guys, if you're struggling, if somebody, if there's that war going on in you where you're thinking that the Bible is not enough, please, please, please memorize this verse. Write it down, tattoo it on your brain, because all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus Christ. But these vain philosophers are trying to tell them, oh, no, 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 you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do that. If anyone, and I mean anyone, comes into your life and tells you you've got to add something to the cross, that you've got to add something to the Word of God, run. No matter how much you may love them, no matter how much you may think they're good people, it's, it's going to lead down a path that you're going to wish you hadn't taken. I can promise you that. All right, look at verses 4 and 5. Now this I say, least anyone should deceive you with what? Smooth talking, right? He says, I'm going to tell you this so that you won't be deceived by persuasive words. You know, one of the ways you can use persuasive words is you can keep people from really understanding what you're saying if you use very, 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 very complicated words. It sounds like you know what you're doing. But it doesn't necessarily mean that those words are truth. So he says, I don't want you to be deceived by those persuasive words in verse 5. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit. Now, do you see what Paul's doing there? He said, I'm not with you, but we have a connection. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, we have a connection. That means I can pray for you and it'll go directly to you. It'll go directly to God and directly to you because we are connected by that thread. And that's what Paul is trying to tell him. He said, we may not be together physically, but we have that thread, that connection. And the guys that you all saw up here this morning, we certainly have that through the years. Some living in different states and different places, and, but God's kept that connection. He's kept that thread. And he says... For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, and I'm rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Same Holy Spirit. You know, it's kind of funny because I, I joke about this, but I don't know if it's really a joke or not. Have you ever told somebody you pray about something and you forgot? Have, now, this is just the way mine works. If God's outside of time, can I pray after it's done and he can still take care of it before it's done? I know, the Star Trek stuff, but <laughs> if God's not bound by time, I can still pray. Oh, I forgot. I'm going to pray now. Well, it's already passed. Not in Jesus, it hasn't. I know. I'm sorry. But anyway, he mentions that 
they are being deceived. He wouldn't say, I don't want you to be deceived if they weren't being deceived. That's exactly what was happening in their life. Satan is a master at deception. You guys have heard, and I'm sure over and over and over again, Satan doesn't dress in that little red suit with that little pitchfork, you know, that he's got and the, the tail that's spiked. And that's not the way he looks. And he doesn't look like a dragon. He looks like your dreams. Ladies, he looks like your dream. Guys, he looks like her, your dream. He looks like the desires of your heart. And he will do everything he can to give you those desires of your heart so he can yank the chain just like a fish on a hook. I'm not going to mix my metaphors there or whatever that word is. But you get the idea. He'll give you what you want so he can get you hooked. And then once he gets you in that place, he can pretty much do whatever he wants to do. Whoops, we see that over and over again with young Christian people sleeping together, moving in together. And it's like if you say anything against it, people go, well, you're just old-fashioned. I guess this is too. But now it's, it's become so common, it's like, you know, get with the program. Well, I am with the program, but you're just on a different bill of materials. You're on a, you're on a different program. So he will give you the desires of your heart in order to take advantage of you later. And he can make a, a lie sound amazing. I'm going to give you John 8, 44. And Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. Now, who's your daddy? Jesus or Satan? You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And I'll go back to couples or let's say dating couples or engaged couples. We get involved in that. The heart is given away and now we have this false belief that what we're seeing before our eyes, we can change it. Oh, he'll change after I get married. I'll, I'll change him. Ah, nah. Probably not. Well, she'll change after we get married. No, probably not. Satan is a liar. It says whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. That's who he is. He's a liar. A liar is a liar. But a liar will tell you the truth once in a while. Because it wouldn't work if they told you lies all the time. They have to tell a few truths in there. That's the way Satan works. And he goes, whenever he speaks, it's a lie. He speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and he's the father of lies. Paul is just begging them, don't buy it. How are you going to know the truth from a lie? Right, you guys have heard the story about uh, counterfeit. You know, they teach the tellers how to tell a counterfeit bill by handling the real stuff. 
because it feels different when it's counterfeit. You can tell the difference. If we have the real stuff in us, we're going to be able to notice a lie when it comes out. If it doesn't align with what the Word of God says, we shouldn't make excuses for it. We should be able to say, hey, I can't go down that path. I can't do that. I know that that's not right and I'm drawing the line long before we give our heart away. Long before we give our heart. Now, it doesn't just have to be a, a romantic relationship. It can be buying a car. Why do you think they let you do a test drive? You get in there, you smell that smell. I think they put a little hallucinogenic in there for you when... It's like you're driving that, smelling that new car, and you're going, oh, i got to have this. Honey, we can't afford it. We'll sell one of the kids. We'll, we're, we've got to have that car. I've got to have that car. Okay, they're being deceived. Paul's trying to help them out. Look at verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive Jesus? like a baby, brand new. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to do it. Somebody somewhere told us about the Lord. We went to church. They give an altar call, or we heard it on the radio, and we go, I, I'm in. Brand new baby, fresh out of the womb. Don't know what to do. Don't know how to do it. We depend upon other people to feed us and take care of us. You did it simply by believing, by faith. Not by works. You did it by faith in Jesus Christ. So he says, therefore, having received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Don't deviate. Don't look for something else. It's in here. It's in here. Then he says in verse 7, rooted. We know what a root is. We know what its purpose is. And all you've got to do is go through a storm here in Arizona and see all the cactus because there's short roots. And the, uh, is it the jacaranda trees? They're always broken. And it doesn't take much to pull them up because there's no root system. Very little root system in some of those trees. So they become unrooted. Paul says be rooted and built up in what? Built up in him. If there was another path, Paul wouldn't be saying that. Jesus wouldn't have said the only way through, to the Father is through, I mean, the only way to heaven is through the Father, because the Father and I are one. Right? The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ and God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is no other path. Okay, so he says built up and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Are we abounding? Here's a question to ask yourself this morning. Am I abounding in my Christianity? What does that mean? Fruitful. Joy. Commitment, devotion, love. All those great things. Am I abounding in my faith? Or is it just something that I kind of wear? To me, you can kind of liken that to being deeply in love. When you're deeply in love, you do things you wouldn't normally do. 
Guys will actually talk on the phone to their girlfriends. You get married, they don't talk on the phone anymore. Love makes you do things you wouldn't normally do. When you and I are in love with Jesus Christ, we find ourselves abounding because it's such a joyous, wonderful experience in Jesus Christ. Paul says, abound in the, in the Lord with thanksgiving. And then he says, he gives the warning in verse 8, he says, beware. You know, when the, when the scripture says beware, that's something we really should take into account. That's something we really should write on our brain. Beware lest anyone cheat you. Cheat you through philosophy, empty deceit, according to the traditions of men. As I read that, I think of at least three or four couples that I love and that I've known for a long time who are no longer walking with the Lord. And probably a whole lot more than that. And you might say, well, they say they still love the Lord. They don't believe in this anymore. How can you love the Lord and throw out His Word? Now they're going to say, well, pastor, you're just not very, not very bright. You're not very smart, even though you've been teaching this for some, a long time. You're just, you're just not aware. You just don't have the training. You just don't get it. That is a lie from the enemy. That's what the Catholic Church told people during the Dark Ages. You can't understand this. Only we can. So we need to take all the Bibles away from you guys. And if you need to know anything, you come, you come talk to us. We'll tell you what that verse means and why it means what it means. According to, to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells, there it is again, all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It's all in him. It's all in him. And you are empty with him? What does it say? You are complete in him. Wanting nothing. Lacking nothing spiritually. It's all in him who is the head of all principality and power. Now, some of you guys know that that's a term that they would use for the ranking of, de of demons, of the different principalities and powers. And he's saying they're above him in every... I mean, he's above them in everything, in absolutely everything. Okay. In other words, guys, we need to be careful to not let some sweet talker come along and change the gospel. You can have a lot of lights. You can have smoke machines for the worship team. Uh, I mean, you can dress it up. You can even hire professional musicians to come up and do worship every weekend. And when it's all done, people will go, man, that worship was incredible. Well, how about the Word? How about the Word of God? 
Well, they, they read some scriptures out of the Bible. Yeah, probably started with one and then went somewhere else with it. That's the star is Jesus Christ. Every time and any time we get together. So he says, walk in the way that you were taught. These two deceptions that he mentions is philosophy and empty deceit. Webster says this about philosophy, a search for general understanding of values and reality by chiefly speculative rather than observational means. That's kind of like a government deciding to go down a path that's been tried five, six times and ended in world wars that didn't work. And then all of a sudden someone comes along and says, let's try it again. That's insanity if you ask me. So someone's opinion may sound very logical. But if it doesn't, if, if it doesn't conform to the word of God, guys, we have to be extremely careful. My advice would be to run. Empty deceit. These two words kind of explain each other, don't they? Empty deceit. The deceit's very real, but the logic upon which the deceit is based is empty or vain. And a lot of times, you will, if you follow that back, you will find it in pride. You will find the source of this is pride. Somebody wants you to think more highly of them than you should think. All of the focus, all of the attention always has to go back to the cross. It always has to go back to Jesus Christ. The motives for this deception, he lists those two. Traditions of men and the elementary principles of this world. Why are we still so attracted to the elementary principles of this world? I can't quote the exact quote. But I'll, I'll give you an idea. Forgive me for not knowing it word for word. But Hitler said, and I just read this this weekend. Hitler said that the advantage for leadership is that men don't think. We don't think. We're told that something is this way. We buy it hook, line, and sinker. You put a little pressure on, and then it's even easier to control the crowds. Traditions of men, elementary principles of this world. Now, let me give you a few of those, and, and most of you guys know these already. One of them is Easter. The world doesn't celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who's the star at Easter? Yeah. I mean, think about that, would you? Just think about that. We celebrate a rabbit that Easter. Then we celebrate a big guy dressed in red and white for Christmas instead of the Savior. Isn't that insanity? I mean... I, that just seems insane to me. And yet, <laughs> we all go for it. We all engage in it. 
And there's some little kids who are never taught the real reason for Christmas. They're never even taught the real reason for Easter. They don't even understand why. You know, why do we do this? I was in Home Depot the other day, and I was getting some, um, some electronic stuff that we needed for the house. And a couple of young guys walked in, and they had the big wide hats on because they'd been working out in the sun, right? And there was one guy that kind of separated himself from the other guy. The, the other guy looked like the leader. He was looking for parts and stuff. And the other guy's over there, and he's going, you look like my dad, said that to the other guy. And, and then he goes, well, I don't know what my dad looked like. He said, I never knew my dad. And then he goes on to say that he was uh, in an orphanage, and he got adopted by a Jewish family who uh, treated him well and raised him. And then, it, it's almost, he's talking to the other guy. The other guy's not saying a word. He's not, it's almost like he's talking to me. You know, I'm standing over here just hearing the conversation. And, uh, and he goes, but I just don't understand. I just don't understand some of the, the Jewish things. I don't understand all the celebrations and this and that. And I couldn't help it. I turned around and I says, read the Old Testament. And he looks at me kind of funny, and I said, they're all celebrations of God's deliverance. I said, they, it, it's, they're celebrating what God has done for them. He goes, yeah, yeah, I guess so. And then I couldn't leave it there, right? And I said, but if you read the New Testament, you'll find out that Jesus Christ fulfilled all of those. We don't just have one day now to rest in Christ. We have all of our life to rest in Jesus Christ. So we have this dialogue going on, but here's a young man who, he doesn't know anything about Jesus. And you just pray that somewhere along the line, someone will tell him how much he's loved, that he's loved by the Lord. And in that brief time, when he turned around and left, he said, God bless you. And I said, well, check Check out what I, what I said to you. See if, it's, see if it's true. But we take on those things of the world. We would rather believe in those than to believe in Jesus Christ and the things of the Lord. Here's another one. Some women would bind their feet at a very, very young age to keep them from growing because their society had convinced them that smaller feet was very attractive. And sometimes it, will, it would hobble them for life. All based on lies. But if you tell a lie often enough, and you make it sound very, very convincing, you can make people believe just about anything, but they're all based on the traditions of men. The elementary principles of this world. What's the elementary principles of this world right now? High-mindedness. Pride. Satan knows how to appeal to our pride. Oh, you're a born-again Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, did you know that you need to add this to? Now, not, not many people know this. You have to, you have to be really, really, uh, you know smart 
Well, you have to be educated in the right schools to know this, but if you get this down, you're really going to have it down. And then all of a sudden, that's the leader of the group. They have their own little kingdom that they're bringing together. It's pride. It's, it's just Why would God send his son to the cross to die for the sins of the world and then hide it if you only had a fifth grade education? Or hide it if you only graduated from high school? Or if you didn't graduate from high school? Why would he do that? That makes no sense spiritually. None at all. He's referring to, in this, these elementary principles, he's also referring to astrology. And I know, I know I'm probably stepping on some toes, or probably some of you guys who get up and read if you're going to live today or not, you know, that <laughs> astrology stuff, you're going to be rich or not. Also, the worship of angels, that was part of the Hellenistic syncretism of the time that he was, we've already talked about in the last teaching. It was a blending of all these different philosophies. That's what we try to do, guys. We try to take the word of God and the things we don't like, we try to blend it with our existing world so it's easier, it's more palatable. It's not meant to be easy on some occasions. When it comes to salvation, there's, there's only one path. And that's Jesus Christ. Yes, he's put it on the bottom shelf so we can all get to it. That's the whole point that Paul's trying to make. Don't let them come in and just overwhelm you with all these great words. Or the hottest worship band in town. Or all the lights. Or all the smoke. But stick with the word of God. Now I could, I could probably handle all the other stuff if the word of God was still being taught. If it was still solid word of God, I could probably handle the other stuff, even though it wouldn't be my choice. Here's the thing. If you start with a false premise, what's your, your conclusion going to look like? It's going to be false. It's going to be wrong. And unfortunately, a lot of the cemeteries, I mean the seminaries out there, they start, they start with trying to tell you what's not right in the Bible. In a seminary. Not telling you what's fantastic about the Bible. Not giving you assurance in Jesus Christ. But they try to dissect it. And, there's, and, and I've, I know some Calvary Chapel pastors who graduated, they got through seminary, and it ruined them. It took them years to come back and find the simplicity and the joy that there is in Jesus Christ. All right. Verse 9. In him, Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. Don't let the, the legalist, and don't become a legalist. He's talking there about the legalists that were demanding circumcision. That in part, he's dealing with that. And he's saying, you know, it's another hoop. You got to jump through another hoop. How many churches have you been to that said, you can't be a member until you go to our six-month course 
that's usually not six months, six weeks. You can't be a member until you go to our six-week course. And you have to subscribe to this, you have to subscribe to that, you have to subscribe to this, and you have to subscribe to the other, or we, we won't let you in. What does Jesus say? Come, all ye are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's why we don't have a membership here. If you show up more than twice, you're part of the family. And if you decide you want to go, you should be free to go. I believe that that's what the Lord would want it to be. All right, verses 11, 12. In him, you were also, what? You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, if you read that, if you concentrate on that, you'll realize circumcision was no longer needed. It was a foreshadowing. It was something that set them apart from the world. Well, now we're set apart by Jesus Christ, by a circumcision that's not made with hands. Our circumcision is putting off, cutting out that part of our life that doesn't fit with Jesus Christ. That's ours. That's ours. Putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision. And you hear this in most baptisms. Buried with him in baptism, right? You, you, okay, the baptism. You're going down, right? You're in the water. Some of us took a little longer in the water than others did. But you're buried with him in baptism in which you were also, what? Raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. That's why we say, you know, buried with him and raised in a newness of life. Now that has already taken place in the person's heart. So the baptism itself is just a formal event to show what that person wants to show everybody, and that's that I'm not the same man. I'm not the same person anymore. I've died in Christ, and I've risen as a new individual in Christ. Does that mean you're going to be Christ? No. Does that mean you're never going to sin? No. Does it mean you're never going to make any mistakes? No. But now you've got a Savior with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and He's taken care of of that. And that circumcision is something that we have to volunteer to. And that is, Lord, I want to put away these things. I want you to cut these out of my flesh. I don't want to do those things anymore. I don't want to be that kind of individual anymore. That's a spiritual work in somebody's heart. But now let me say this. This is extremely important. What happened if Jesus came back before you got in the water? You're still good. You know why? Because it's not about the water. It was about what already took place in your heart that makes you even want to get in the water. I want to get in there and I want to do this because I want my family or I want my friends, I want the church to see I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm a new individual in Jesus Christ. We're giving up that old flesh to just do whatever we wanted to do and we're making a new covenant with Jesus Christ. God, I'm not perfect, but I'm going to do everything I can to live my life for you, to honor you. A new individual. Paul says, 
that when you trusted Jesus Christ for salvation and you did the baptism, you did it. You did it. Circumcision's taken care of. Which day do I worship on? It doesn't matter. As Christians, we should worship every day. So Jesus came along and he started removing hoops. Now you can imagine what effect that had on the organized church. Who had all the hoops in motion. They didn't like him much. But the average person who thought, I can be saved. I've had people say, but, but you don't know what I've done. I said, I don't want to know what you've done. God knows everything that you've done, and he's offering you a brand new life. Man, how much freedom is that? It's a wonderful thing. Look at verses 13 through 17. We're drawing to a close here. And it says, and you being dead in your trespasses, your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you some? But pastor, how can he do that? Well, because he's God. But you don't know what I've done. You don't know what anybody else has done either. That's not important anymore. What's important is what you are and what you do and how, how you live your faith from this point on. That's what's important. Verse 14 having wiped out the handwriting requirements of requirements that was against us, all the do's and all the don'ts, which was contrary to us. Why is it contrary to us? Because we're human. We're not righteous by default. We're sinners by default. And he's wiped all that out. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. He won. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding the festivals of the new moons or Sabbath, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Everybody was making everybody else jump through hoops. That's legalism. He's saying, man, just walk in Jesus. Everything else will make sense. Just love the Lord with all of your heart. Think of the handwriting of requirements against us as a mortgage. You guys love mortgages, right? Sin has put us in debt so deep that we couldn't pay it. Why? Because God's righteous. He's a righteous God. And we all sinned against Him. God can't live with or cohabitate with sin. We couldn't pay that debt. So what did He do? He paid it. That's the whole point of this. To put it another way, the bank holds a lien against your car, right? Some own their cars outright, but in a lot of cases, the bank holds the lien against your car. We call it ours, but it's not really ours. Not until that debt is paid in full. And when it's paid in full, you get a clear title. Well, on the cross, Jesus gave us a clear title. 
You're free. He gave us a clear title. We're no longer in debt because Jesus paid it all. It's taken out of the way, having been nailed to the cross. And while he was at it, he made a fool out of those who wished to keep us in bondage. Bondage, excuse me, especially Satan. So these false teachers in Colossae are trying to put them all back into bondage. Don't do this. You got to do this. Trying to make them through, uh, jump through hoops. But let me give you this. Out of Romans 14, 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. So the kingdom of heaven is not about eating and drinking, although I think if you like onions, it's questionable. <laughs> Many the ones that are laughing know I hate onions. But anyway, the point is, don't let anybody put you back into bondage. If you really have Jesus Christ in your heart, don't let someone put you back into that bondage. In Mark 12, verses 2 through 8, it says, And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. They're not jumping through the religious hoop. And what does he say? He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered into the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and they're blameless because they have to work. Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, I desire love. I desire you to be loving. I desire you to be forgiving. Not sacrifice. If you would have known that, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. It's all wrapped up, guys. You know, we look at this and we go, man, that's a lot to read. I don't know if I'll ever be able to read it all. I don't know if I'll ever be able to get through it. Maybe not. But if you have Jesus, you're okay. Pastor, does that mean I don't have to read the Bible? Let's not be silly. We, how, how are you going to learn? How are you going to grow? How are you going to you know, strengthen in the Lord. We need, we need to read the word. But my point is this. There's one greater than all of those things. All contained in him. All right, look at 18 and 19. Let no one cheat you of your reward. Take delight, taking delight in false humility in the worship of angels. Intruding, look at all these words he's using against the ones trying to trick them intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all of the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. They were evidently saying they were having dreams and visions and all kinds of other stuff. And depending upon what your background is, you may have seen or been to, to churches where it's... Uh, uh, how do we say, uh, lively, you know, extremely lively and people having visions and people doing this and doing that. And if you, if you sift it all down, 
there's a lot of pride involved in the whole, the whole thing. And, of course, only the truly humble would be able to have these insights. I mean, angels don't talk to people who are not truly humble, right? So you've you got to be something special in order to be able to do all of that. Guys, don't buy that. Just don't buy it. All right, let's look at 20 through 23. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of this world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to the regulations? Why are you putting yourself back in bondage? Why is it about jumping through the hoops? Now, I have to say this. If you've jumped through hoops most of your religious life, you're going to have a tendency to want to fall back into setting up some hoops. Because it, it, looks, it looks like Christianity. It's, it, you can get the warm and the fuzzies. If you were raised in a church where there was stained glass and beautiful uh, sanctuaries and stuff, this might freak you out. This is a church. And I've had people say, well, I'm, I'm going to go back to because I feel like it's church. I get that. And I think people had, should have the freedom to make those choices. I'm just saying, look behind the curtain. Look behind the curtain. Make sure you always look for Jesus in the middle of all of it. He doesn't care. You could have church in the parking lot, and he's just as happy. When we went down to Mexico, the Sunday school teachers were sometimes teaching on the back of an old rotted-out car and had the kids around them. The kids were all over the car, and they would stand in front of the car teaching the Word of God. Do you think that was not godly? It was awesome. All right. The regulations here, they are in 21. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Christians did that a lot, didn't they? Don't dance. Don't dance. Don't have drums in the church. That's Satan himself. We've done that a lot. And he says, this all stuff, all this, all this is immaterial. It's just material, but it's immaterial to the spiritual walk. He goes, they're going to all perish. All of this stuff is going to perish according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of absolutely no value against the indulgence of the flesh. If we've died to Christ, then we don't have to worry about touching and tasting and handling, right? I mean, that, that's got to be some comfort in dying. None of those things matter anymore. And if we died with Christ in baptism, rose to a newness of life. All right, the religious do's and don'ts, I don't think that has ever brought anybody to Jesus Christ. It didn't bring me to Jesus Christ. What brought me to Jesus Christ was that I found out how loving he was. When I was told how kind he was and that I could actually get in, that was appealing to me. It wasn't the do's and the don'ts because I figured that all my buddies were going to be in hell anyway. So, you know, that didn't, none of that bothered me. It didn't bother me. 
But that kind of love I had never experienced. That kind of forgiveness I had never experienced. Most of life, you have people telling you what you can't do and what you're not qualified for. And then all of a sudden, somebody's telling me, I can be qualified for heaven. I can be qualified to be accepted into the family of God. That just kind of blew me away. So guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop with this. Don't let anything get in the way of Jesus. And if you hear something that just sounds a little janky, <laughs> it just might be. So enjoy your freedom in Jesus. But don't let that freedom bring you back around to trusting in the elementary principles of false religion. Enjoy the freedom. Read the Word of God. Find out what pleases the Lord. But just know this. He went to the cross to prove His love for you. Do you know anybody else would have ever done that for you? I didn't. 